بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين يقص الحق وهو خير الفاصلين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا ومولانا محمدًا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليمًا وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد This is the 30th session of our series Islam's Greatest Personalities and part 5 of the story of Yusuf Ali where we will discuss the final days of Prophet Yusuf and his demise. And we discussed last week how Prophet Yaqub regained his eyesight and then he was invited with the rest of his family to come to Egypt to meet Sayyiduna Yusuf Rather than we understand it in our own words, let us understand it in the words of the Quran, how Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains, A'udhu billahi min shaytan rajim Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَمَّا دَخَلُوا عَلَى يُوسُفُ عَوَى إِلَيْهِ أَبَوَيْهِ وَقَالَدْ خُلُوا مِسْرَ إِن شَاءَ اللَّهُ آمِنِيمُ When they entered the presence of Yusuf, now who is here? The father of Yusuf alayhi salam, the mother of Yusuf alayhi salam, and all of the brothers of Yusuf to Egypt, into the palace, and they've entered into the presence of the minister, the finance minister of Egypt, who is Sayyiduna Yusuf alayhi salam. Quran says, When they entered the presence of Yusuf alayhi salam, he drew his parents close to him. So they all came together, he brought the parents. Ajal, Ajal. Come over here. Father, he made his father sit on the throne. So Yusuf salam is sitting on the throne. They all came in together. Brought the father, you see over here, asked the mother to sit as well on the throne where he was sitting next to him. And he said, enter Egypt if with the will of Allah, safe and secure. Enter meaning, yani, welcome. You welcome. You, you arrive now into Egypt. Safe and secure. They've written this in the airport when you land in Egypt. Enter Egypt uh, with the will of Allah, safe and secure. May Allah make Egypt safe and secure in reality and all of the Muslim countries throughout the world. And he elevated his parents onto the throne. So he was sitting on the throne. He made his parents also sit on the throne as well. And they all fell before him bowing in sajda. They all prostrated. So the father, the mother prostrated in sajda to Yusuf and also all of the brothers, they fell in sajda and prostration, bowing to Yusuf He said, my father, this is the fulfillment of my vision which I saw long ago. The dream that I saw, this is the fulfillment now that the sun and the moon and the stars are all prostrating to me. My Lord has made it come true. And he was good to me when he released me from the prison. And he brought you from the wilderness. Remember, they came from the deserts and the 
the, 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 the simple life that they were living. After shaitan, after shaitan, he, he caused conflict between me and my brothers. He didn't blame his brothers. What did he say? Shaitan caused conflict between me and my brothers. My Lord is most kind towards whom he wills. Indeed, he is all-knowing and all-wise. Now this, we end with this. Yusuf السلام, makes a dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Oh Allah, you have given me some authority in the world. Allah granted him authority. He said, Oh my Lord, you have granted me some authority in the world. And you taught me some knowledge of interpretation, interpretation of the events. Fatir samawati wal O oh, the originator of the heavens and the earth, Anta dunya wal you are my protector in this life and also in the hereafter. So he's praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by mentioning first of all that Allah, you gave me authority. You taught me the knowledge of the interpretation of the events. You are the originator of the heavens and the earth and you are my protector in the world and also in the hereafter. What is his dua? What's the dua of Yusuf in the Quran? Tawaffani Musliman wa This is the dua of Yusuf we find in the Quran. Tawaffani Musliman wa Oh Allah, receive my soul in the state of submission and admit me into the company of the righteous. Meaning, give me death on Islam. This is the dua Yusuf, Yusuf is making. Oh Allah, give me death. On Islam, tawaffani Musliman, and join me, admit me with the pious people in the hereafter. So these are the ayat, the final ayat, which conclude the story of Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam. Let us understand what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us here. Hafiz ibn Kathir rahmatullahi says, this is a story of two people that had extreme love for each other, namely Yaqub and Yusuf salam, father and son, after years of separation, how they came together. And there are different opinions amongst the scholars in terms of how long was the separation. Some have said that it was 80 years. So for 80 years, Yaqub salam didn't see his son Yusuf salam, and he continued to cry. Others have said, he was 83 years. Some have said that it was 35 years. So different opinions, 80 years, 83 years, 35 years. Now, when we look at the ayat of the Quran and the story, it seems that we can't define exactly how long it was. However, some of the scholars of Tafsir have said, if you look at the Quran, we find that many scholars of Tafsir say, that Yusuf alayhi salam, he was uh, approached by the wife of the Aziz when he was 17 years old. So this is many scholars of Tafsir have written that Yusuf alayhi salam was 17 years old when the wife of the Aziz of Egypt, when she tried to approach him and then he got put into prison. So how old was he then? 17. And he remained in the prison 
في في السجن بضع سنين القرآن says he remained in the prison for بضع number of years and we said بضع means ما دون العشر less than ten and many scholars have said that it was seven years so how many is that seventeen and seven twenty four then he came out and we find the seven sorry so after this was so he he remained in there for seven years when he came out there were another seven years remember when he said there's going to be seven years of good years and seven difficult years so there were seven years difficult years after that so how many is that now 31 then Seven years and another seven years. Okay. And then the brothers came one year. And then the brothers came the following year. And then in the third year, the scholars say, is he informed himself of, he informed them of his reality and who he was. And then they all came. So how many is that all together? Okay, so we're looking, so you can't pinpoint and say it's exactly this number of years. So this is if we're counting the events that have happened and we go according to what the scholars have said. That's not my job to do or your job to do, to define and to pinpoint that this is what it means. Okay, like some people have tried to define and put their own ideas in the Quran. We can't do that. If the hadith mentions something, okay, it's fine. But we can't put our own ideas and say, okay, I think it's this uh, without any evidence. We can't do that. The Prophet says, Man qala fil Quran bi Whoever speaks of the Quran and he gives a meaning of the Quran with their own opinion, and the hadith says that even if you are correct, you've still made a mistake. Imagine your, your interpretation is correct. Even then, you have made a mistake. Because Quran isn't a book for anybody to pick up and start taking out their own meanings. Otherwise, uh, anybody will say anything. People will say anything. And our tradition has this very important aspect of chain of narration. And isnad. Al-isnanu min ad-deen. al-isnad. Laqala man If there was no concept of the chain of narration, then anybody would say anything. And that's what's happening many a times where people are saying all sorts of things. You ask them, where did you get this from? Oh, I thought of it in my mind. The thought came to my mind, so I said it. That's not good enough. You need reliable evidence to prove something. So here we find that we're not trying to focus on exactly how many years. What we're trying to say, it was a long period of time. It was a long period of time. Now, when... Yusuf alayhi salam invited his parents and his brothers. Quran says he made his parents come closer to him. Of course, this is a, a manner of respect. So he saw his parents. He was sitting on the throne. So he invited his parents. He left the brothers down and he asked the parents. He showed them respect and he called them and asked them to sit on the throne as well. So this was uh, 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 an act of respect which he showed towards his parents. And then he told them, Udkhulu Misra, insha'Allah, 
Aminin. You know, hope you are safe. When somebody comes, somebody arrives, we hope your journey was good. You know, hope your stay will be good. And hope it was everything was okay. You didn't get any traffic on the way. And hope you're, you know, you are more than welcome here. This is your home. Treat this like your home. So this is how he was welcoming them into Egypt and Misr. So now, Quran says, He elevated his parents. He didn't say his father. He says, Okay, his parents. Now, according to biblical sources, okay, when you look at what they say, they are of the opinion that the mother of Yusuf had passed away. But not to say that we rely on that, we're just discussing it. So they say that the mother of Yusuf had passed away. Now, those people who have gone along with this narrative from the Israeliyat, from the biblical sources, now they need to provide an answer. Because they've taken this opinion that the mother of Yusuf passed away. The Quran says, He elevated both his parents, mother and father. So what does it mean? So those who have taken this opinion, again from biblical sources, not from Islamic sources, they say that Allah revived his mother. Allah brought his mother back to life for this occasion, for the fulfillment of this dream. But in reality, there is no need to go that far. Okay, no need to do some somersaults to try and put things together. Others have also said, again, because they've relied on the fact that, that the biblical sources state that his mother passed away. It wasn't his mother who came, it was his auntie who came. And in the hadith we find, Al-Khalatu bi manzilatil um, that the auntie is like the mother. So over here when he says, parents, mother meaning auntie, and auntie is like the mother. This is going, we're going too far here. There's no need to go into all of this. Uh, Ibn Jarir and others, scholars of tafsir have said, if we look at the Quran, the Quran clearly says, He elevated his parents. And for him to do that, the parents need to be alive. So it's better to remain, leave the Quran as it is, rather than us changing it and inserting our own understanding into it. So until that time, his mother was still alive. So it was both mother and father. Uh, he raised them and made them sit next to him. And they bowed into prostration. So now they've gone into sujood. Now, is this allowed? Sajida to anyone besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Is this allowed? Can this be done? And how was this done at that time? So up until our Sharia, this was something that was allowed. In all of the previous uh, laws and the, the Sharia before us, it wasn't made haram. And this sajda wasn't sajdatul ibadah. Not for worship. It's called sajdatul ta'zim. It's the prostration of honoring and showing respect. And you are allowed to do this. This was permissible. In our Sharia, it's not permissible. Of course, Sajdatul Ibadah is not allowed except for Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. But even Sajdatul Ta'zim is not allowed. Some Sahaba, when they went for business purposes to foreign lands, they saw that the Christians and people of other faiths, when the leader would come, when their religious cleric would come, they would see that they were bowing in front of them. When they would enter, they would bow down. When they came back to Rasulullah in Medina Munawwara, this is all messenger of Allah. We have seen so-and-so people 
they were bowing down to their priests, to their scholars, to their rabbis, to their leaders. If anybody deserves that we bow down to them, it should be your messenger of Allah. Allow us that when we come in your presence, we bow down to out of respect, not out of worship, out of respect. And the Prophet said, no, this is not permissible. In our Sharia, this is not permissible. We don't have the concept of bowing. And then he went on to say, لو أمرت لأحدد أن تسجد لأحدد لأمرت المرأة أن تسجد لزوجها If, before anybody gets excited and says, oh look, this is like, a, these are people who are misogynists against women. No, he's saying, if I was to instruct anybody to make sajda of ta'zim and honoring, I would have told the wife to make sajda to the husband. But he didn't. Did he say it? No, he didn't say this. He didn't say this. This is an example that's being given. He didn't say this. So the Sahaba radiallahu anhum were told, no. In our Sharia, we don't have the concept of making sajda to anybody. It is haram and it remains haram to make sajda and to bow down to anyone besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he went on to say that, oh my father, this is the interpretation. So the dream that he saw, the sun, the moon. Who's the sun and the moon? The mother and the father. And the stars that he saw, those were his brothers. He saw them bowing to him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him see and the fulfillment of this dream. After so many years, okay, it's been so many years. Some scholars are saying 80 years and some are saying even longer. And this was the same dream which Yaqub told his son, La taqsus ru'yaka ala ikhwatika. Remember we spoke in the first session that don't tell your brothers about this dream. If they find out they're going to plan against you, they're going to scheme against you, they will cause you harm. And then Yusuf alayhi salam, he says, قَدْ جَعَلَهَا رَبِّي حَقَّ وَقَدْ أَحْسَنَ بِي إِذْ أَخْرَجَنِي مِنَ السِّجْنِ now this is adab, this is etiquette. And we learn this from the Anbiya Yaqub Yusuf went through one of the most difficult periods of his life. Or the most difficult period in his life. How challenging was this? Where he was deserted by his brothers. He was bullied by them. He was physically abused by them. And then he was thrown into the well and left there, abandoned, all alone. And then he got sold off as a slave. And then he was put into prison. And then it continued. How much difficulty did he undergo? But not even once did he complain about this. And this is when a person realizes, yes, we are human beings. We do feel pain. We have emotion. And you're allowed to express yourself. However, what we are not allowed to do is to complain about Allah. Okay, that's one thing we're not allowed to do. Allah knows better than us. And this is the qadr and the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And one of the highest stations a person can reach is a station of rada. Rada bil qada. To be happy with Allah's destiny. Ibrahim alayhi salam reached this position when he was being thrown into the fire and Jibreel came to him and asked him, you know, I, I can ask Allah to extinguish the fire. We can do this. We can do this. He says, no, Allah knows about me. He knows my condition. 
And if, if this is what Allah wants, then I submit myself. Our Shafi brethren, when they start the salah, okay, Hanafis, they say, Subhanakallahumma bihamdika wa tabarakasmuk wa ta'ala jadduk wa la ilaha ghayruk. The Shafi is when they start the salah, they read this, don't they? Inni This is the dua of Ibrahim alayhi salam. That I've turned away from everything and I am focusing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rada bil qada. To be happy with Allah's destiny, to not complain. So Yusuf alayhi salam went through so much. But he didn't, when he's talking to his father, he's saying, oh my father, look, Allah made the dream come true. Remember we saw that, I saw the dream, Allah's made the dream come true. And then he says, he picked out the positive. You know, we always talk about the example of the half full and half empty. Is the glass half full or is it half empty? Okay. So the, the negative people generally would say it's half empty. A positive person would say it's half full. Okay, optimism. This is something from Islam. The Prophet ﷺ always encouraged to have hope in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To be optimistic, to be positive, not to be a pessimist, not to always be negative, not to always complain, not to always find faults. A positive person finds an opportunity in every difficulty. A positive person finds an opportunity in every difficulty. And a negative person finds a difficulty in every opportunity. Always looking, some people are always looking for problems, for faults, to try and take out a mistake, to find a problem, to complain about something. This is not a good habit. This is not what Islam teaches. This shows that a person, they do not have goodness in their heart, not goodness in their mind. They're always looking for bad. They're always looking for faults always waiting to be critical and to criticize. May Allah protect us from such a heart, such a mind, and such a tongue. We should be positive. The Prophet ﷺ praised his Sahaba. He said good things about them. He always gave them encouragement. And this is the way of the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Look at this example from the story of Yusuf ﷺ. So much has happened. Yusuf ﷺ says, وَقَدْ أَحْسَنَ بِي my Allah was so kind to me that he took me out of the prison. He didn't say that Allah made me go in the well. He didn't say, and this is what happens. Quran says that when something good happens, you say, I did it. When something bad happens, you say, this is from Allah. That generally that happens, isn't it? When something good happens, we boast about it. We tell everybody, I did it. I achieved it. This was through my knowledge, my ex, my con, I've got contacts. This is what we say, I've got, I've, you know, I know people, okay? Uh, and we, we like to claim that it's our own personal excellence. When some problem occurs, something bad happens, Allah di mercy. Okay, it, it, it's okay, it, this, is, this is the decree of Allah. So Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala complains about you and me in the Quran, by mentioning this behavior and attitude. Look at Yusuf salam, it's a total opposite. So many challenges he faced, he didn't mention any of them. And he didn't, he wasn't negative about Allah. He didn't complain about Allah. Do we judge Allah based on the things that he has given us or on the things that he hasn't given us? Many a times we focus on 
on the things that we don't have. Whereas we should be focusing on those which we do have. We tend to compare to other people and see, I don't have this, I don't have this, I don't, I don't have... No, look at the things that you have. Look at the positives. Look at what Allah has granted you. And this will create gratitude in a person. Yusuf alayhi salam says, My Allah was so kind to me when he took me out of the prison. And then, And he brought you people here as the separation, you could have talked about separation. Can you see? It's, it's the mindset. It's how you look at it. <laughs> when you talk And somebody then went on to say, well, it doesn't matter, you can still refill it. Okay? If it's half empty or half full. But the main thing is it can be refilled as well. So at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world. This is the world. But having a positive mindset has a very positive impact on your life, on your health, on your And is this, your outlook on life will change. And this is what we learn from the Quran. Negatives, can't we? Look, this happened, this happened. Instead, he focused on the positives. He said, first of all, Allah made my dream come true. Secondly, he says that Allah was so kind to me, he took me out of the prison. Number three, he says, he's brought all of you, look, we're all together here. He took you out of the wilderness and he's brought you into the palace. Now, did his brothers do wrong to him or not? Weren't they so cruel to him? You know, Yusuf forgave his brothers and we claim to forgive as well. But what we do generally is, we tell people, I'm going to forgive you, but I won't forget. That's not forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. Yes, we're human beings. We're human beings. And it's very difficult sometimes to forget. If someone's wronged you, it's painful. But the true essence of forgiveness is you forgive somebody. And when you say, I'm not going to forget, meaning you bring it up. Bringing the past up, bringing some issues up with people shows that you've not really forgiven them. Okay, because you're, you're trying to now, you're still ranting about it. You're still expressing what happened. If you really forgive someone, this is what we say. I, I've forgiven you, but I'm not, I, I won't forget. Okay, so Yusuf alayhi salam, not even once, he could have shamed his brothers. He could have exposed them. He could have taken them to task. Right, okay, now, come on, let's deal with you one by one. Who was it that pushed me into the well? Whose idea was it? And he was now... Uh, you know, on the throne, he could have thrown them into the dungeon, go to the prisons. But what did he say? He didn't even make a reference to it. Rather, instead, what did he say? Oh, my father, this all happened after shaitan caused a conflict between me and my brothers. So he blamed it onto shaitan. And that's amazing. You need to have a good heart. You need to have a very good and clean heart to be able to do this. And this is what we learn from the Anbiya alayhi salatu wassalam. Inna rabbi latiful lima yasha. So there's many lessons like this to be learned from the entire surah. We're just keeping it brief um, because of, of course we have the ish salatu isha upcoming as well. Inna rabbi latiful lima yasha. My Lord is very kind with whom he wills. Meaning look, 
he's saying Allah is so kind. Look, he didn't say Allah so, Allah's been very difficult with me. Allah's given me a very hard time. Allah's testing me, you know, bro. Honestly, I'm being tested, you know. This is what we say. This is our, it, you, it sounds good. But really, you're trying to say that you've got it really easy and I've got it really hard. And Allah's given me a hard time and given you an easy time. Okay? What did he say? Allah is very kind with whom he wills. He is the all-knowing. He knows why he did it. He knows. He knows better than all of us. Who should have what and who shouldn't have what. Who should be sitting on the chair and who shouldn't be sitting on the chair. knows who should be given this position and who should go and who shouldn't go and also Hakim he has the wisdom he knows why with why did this happen to me it doesn't happen to anybody else well Allah is the all wise and whatever Hakim does, la yakhlu anil hikmah. Is never devoid of hikmah. Okay, every time a Hakim does something, it is full of hikmah. And Allah is al Hakim. There is no one more wise than Allah subhanahu wa Does everything He commands, everything He ordains, is full of wisdom. Yes, it's a different issue. I don't understand it. You might not understand it. We might not comprehend it. Do you think Yusuf salam understood when he got thrown into the well? Imagine somebody judged. Imagine he made a in the well. Did he see what's coming after so many years? Now, when you look back, he's saying, my Allah is very knowledgeable, very wise. What does that teach us? What does that teach us? That teaches us that don't be hasty. Don't be hasty. We make dua once, twice, three times, and then we give up. Then nothing's happening. We start complaining. We jump to conclusions. Oh, maybe this has happened. No, that's happened. No, Allah is all knowledgeable. Let's put our trust in Allah. This is what it means to put the trust in Allah. From yourself, do everything you can. But then this is the whole idea of believing. That we entrust all our affairs to Him. Oh Allah, don't leave me to handle my affairs even for the blink of an eye. I'm asking you now, I handed it over to you. I've made my effort and now I handed it over to you. Now trust the system of Allah. Can you see the system of Allah? Allah works in mysterious ways. He says, Yusuf. Look at the whole scheme and the plan. This was the plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now we come to the end of the story of Yusuf alayhi salam and we find he makes a dua. What dua does he make? Rabbi qad mulki. Oh Allah, you've granted me some kingdom, some power, some authority, and uh, and you gave me the knowledge of the interpretation of dreams and then he goes that Allah you are the originator you created the heavens and the earth 
You are my protector in the world and the hereafter. What is the dua he makes? Tawaffani Musliman. Oh Allah, give me death. He's asking for it. Well, now, give me wafat. Give me death. Receive my soul. Okay, receive my soul. In Urdu, we say wusul karna. Okay, the wuffiya means to receive something. Wusul karna. And this is what wafat means. What happens when you, when you pass away? What happens? Allah collects your soul. You know, when the brothers, when they go in Jamaat, we have wusuli. Okay, some brothers are still in the houses. We make wusuli gasht. You're going to collect them. They're not here. They've not arrived. So you go and bring them. So this is wusul karna. So this is what it means. The wuffiya. So tawaffani, O Allah, which means give me death. Okay. Receive my soul, meaning take my soul now. I want you to collect my soul. How Musliman in a condition that I am submitting to you, meaning, I, oh Allah, give me death on Islam, like now. And join me, admit me with the pious people, with the righteous. Now, very important question that arises. This ayah of the Quran, before I go into it, I'm sure why did he ask for death are we allowed to ask for death he's saying tawaffani musliman give me death in the state of islam which is a good thing to ask for but are we supposed to ask for our life to end so a few things first of all we find that some scholars say that this dua of Yusuf alayhi salam, he made it when he was on his deathbed. So he was already dying. He wasn't, he wasn't in a good condition. He was already dying. So I'm prohibited. You can say that, well, I'm going anyway. Give tawaffani musliman wa alhiqni bis salihin. And this is very similar to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Can anybody tell me, does anybody know when the Prophet ﷺ was on his deathbed, what was he saying? Something similar to this. What were the words he was saying? We should, this is, we should know this. Hmm? Those, okay, he spoke about the Ummah, he spoke about Salah, he spoke about the rights of women. He said to send the army of Usama bin Zayn himself he was praying for himself what did he say what did he ask for at this time when his final words when he was leaving the world and he said it three times it's in the Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim both the most high yes Allahumma fir rafiq al-a'la okay Allahumma fir rafiq al-a'la most high meaning who is he talking about he was speaking about Allahumma fir rafiq al-a'la that oh Allah I want to have the highest companionship Okay, of going to the heavens now, be amongst the angels and the malaika, and coming to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allahumma fir rafiqil a'la. So Yusuf alayhi salam is making a similar dua, and he's passing tawaffani musliman wa alhiqni bis salihim. I want to go to the righteous people now. Okay, and so this is one uh, opinion of the scholars that he made this dua when he was on his deathbed. However, there is a narration from Ibn Abbas which indicates that Yusuf made this dua when he was healthy. 
There is a hadith. He says, مَا تَمَنَّا نَبِيٌ قَدْتُ الْمَوْتِ قَبْلَ يُوسُفِ Before Yusuf السلام, there is no prophet that ever prayed or wished for death. We only find Yusuf السلام, doing this when he was in a good healthy condition. He was not on his deathbed. This is the opinion of Sayyiduna Ibn Abbas In our Sharia, are we allowed to do this? If somebody is really depressed, if somebody just had enough, you know, things are going really bad. What's going on? Like, you know, this COVID going on and there's no fuel now as well. What am I going to do? There's no toilet roll and someone's just given up on life, right? Okay, I'd rather just die. Is that allowed? Okay, in our Sharia, it's not permissible to ask for death. It's not allowed. We can't do this. And this has been prohibited by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, the only time you are allowed to pray for a death is when it is a time of extreme fitna and you are engulfed in it. You are overtaken by it and there is fear that you may fall into this challenge. Fitna meaning in regards to your deen, not your health, okay? Not your mental state. We're talking about fitna in the terms of deen. Where we find, for example, Imam al-Bukhari rahmatullah alayhi. One of the greatest scholars, we speak about Imam al-Bukhari. We don't have time to go into detail. But what we can say from the young tender age of maybe even before the age of 10, Imam al-Bukhari rahmatullah alayhi started learning and memorizing the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He traveled to many places, to many scholars, hundreds and thousands of ahadith memorized by Imam al-Bukhari at a young and tender age. And he started gaining popularity. And he became famous until he got invited to Nishapur. And in Nishapur, he gains popularity. The greatest scholar there, he started sending people that go and learn by him, go and study by him. Even he would walk behind Imam al-Bukhari until Imam al-Bukhari becomes very, very popular. Somebody who was not known, now he has become popular, has thousands of students. In each gathering, there are thousands and thousands of people. And this popularity started to grow. And Imam Bukhari was extremely righteous and very meticulous in his delivery and the way he conducted himself. However, such a great person also fell into a fitna and a challenge. And that was that people became jealous of him. People became jealous of somebody like Imam al-Bukhari. And they put him into a challenge. He was challenged. And then they created a mas'ala which also happened to Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahmatullah regarding what we call the Khalqul Qur'an. It's a bogus thing to even try and think about and discuss because it's totally unnecessary. We believe and we know that the Qur'an itself is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not a creation, it's part of it's Allah's kalam. Yes, the book that we have in front of us, somebody made it. But the actual Qur'an, the words of Allah, this is part of Allah, it's Allah's kalam, it's one of his attributes. So some people created this idea that the Quran is and they tried to get Imam al-Bukhari tangled into this fitna. Same with Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal had so many whips on his body and spent so many years in prison just because he defended this mas'ala. The greatest scholars at that time all gave up and they decided at that time they thought they're just going to pretend. In their hearts, they had Iman. 
But because he was so, you, you and I have not faced such challenging times. May Allah protect us. We've not faced anything close to this. Where Quran says that if you are challenged so much so that your life is under threat, you are allowed to say a word of kufr. But in your heart is full and brimming with iman. You know, if you're starving and you're hungry, Quran says, yes, you're allowed to eat something that's haram just so that you don't die. So similarly, if somebody puts you, puts a gun to your head, okay, one option is no, like many people did it. No, I believe in one Allah. Do you but you're allowed, because your life is precious, you are allowed, Quran tells us at that time, if it's so challenging, that you just go along and say what they're telling you to say, as long as in your heart you've got full iman, because Allah knows, and you're put to the test. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahmatullahi was put to the test. Imam al-Bukhari was put to the test. So much so that his life was in danger. And all, you know, on one side he's got so much popularity, and then now the people that loved him, somehow this fitna became such, the same scholars who are promoting him, now they are swearing at him. Now they are criticizing him. It was all based on jealousy initially. And then this became a very challenging time. I find Imam al-Bukhari did make a dua. And he said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Oh Allah, it's become too challenging. Please just take me away now. And within a very short time, Imam al-Bukhari, I think 60 something years old, he passed away. So you do get certain times where at the time of fitan, where you are, your religion is challenged, that's different. And the Prophet ﷺ prophesies this. He says, a time is going to come on my ummah that a person is going to walk by a grave and he's going to say, I wish that was me. I wish that was that time is going to come. We're seeing times like that now, where you, you know you, certain things are happening around us, and we're thinking like we never imagined such things like this would happen. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala protect us. However, normally the normal challenges you and I have are more to do with family, more to do with health, more to do with money, more to do with your job, more people that are in your life. So these challenges, some people have them more, some people have them less. Yes, it can become very difficult, but it should not push anybody to desire death. Because the Prophet said, None of you should ever express the desire to die. You know, many parents say this, don't they? Right to their kids sometimes. Uh, you know, uh, you know I, when I die, you will find out. When I die, you will find out. You know, I wish I was dead. I we shouldn't be saying things like this. The Prophet said, if any challenge comes to you, you should never wish for death. If you really need to say something at that time, we've been taught a dua. What did the Prophet teach us? If you really want to pray to Allah at that time and say something, then you say this dua. Allahumma ahyini ma kanatil hayatu khayralli. Watawaffani idha kanatil wafatu khayralli. Oh Allah, keep me alive. And Allah, give me death when it's good for me to die. Such a beautiful dua. So simple. Okay, you can make it in your own words as well. Oh Allah, keep me alive as long as it's good for me to be alive. And grant me death when it's good for me to die. Simple. 
We don't know when it's good for us or bad for us. We shouldn't be asking for death and to leave the world. So, the scholars mention it seems that Yusuf was towards the end of his life and he made this dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in regards to uh, dying in the state of Iman and Islam and to be joined with the uh, righteous companions and the righteous um, people in the hereafter. Now, we come to the end of the life of Yusuf alayhi salam, but prior to that, the end of life of his father Yaqub alayhi salam. Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran, an kuntu, an kuntum shuhada Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks a question in the Quran. Were you present when Yaqub alayhi salam was on his deathbed? Question for you in the Quran. Am kuntum shuhada when Yaqub was about to leave the world, were you present? Then Allah tells us what happened at that time. He said to his sons, who are his sons? Yusuf is one of his sons, so he's a prophet. And the noble people, sons of a prophet. You know what he said to them? What was his question? What did he say? Look after the shops. Okay, what did he say? Make sure you send all your kids to university. Every son should become a doctor. Okay, what did he say? He asked his sons, Ma min ba'di. Sons, I'm going to die. After I die, what are you going to worship? What's his concern? His concern is their religion, is their iman. That's what he's worried about. And who is he talking to? One of his sons is a prophet. The rest of them are the children of prophets. And this is how he's addressing them. And all of them replied by saying, Na'budu ilahaka wa ilaha aba'ika Ibrahima wa Ismaila wa Ishaqa ilahan wahida wa nahnu lahu muslimun. Don't worry dad, we're going to worship your Lord and the Lord of your forefathers Ibrahim and Ishaq. Submit to him. So this was when Yaqub alayhi salam passed away. So when Yaqub alayhi salam passed away, we find that the the in where Ibrahim salam is buried. We spoke about Ibrahim salam being buried uh, in Hebron. So in Hebron, Palestine, we have uh, Al-Khalil. There is the place where Yaqub uh, Ibrahim salam first purchased the cave. Remember we spoke about it. He purchases the cave and he buries his wife, Sarah. And then Ibrahim salam passed away. He got buried there. So now in that in that cave, there were two people buried, Sarah and Prophet Ibrahim When Yaqub passed away, they carried him and also buried him in this cave as well. Along with his forefather, Ibrahim his wife, uh, Sarah, also Ishaq is buried there. We spoke about that already. And his wife, Rifqa. So you've got now in the cave, who is there? Sarah first. And then Ibrahim salam, the husband, and then Ishaq salam and his wife Rifqa for, and now Yaqub salam, and later on his wife Lika or Laika or Leia, she was also buried there. How many is that? Six. So now Yaqub salam has passed away. We move on to the demise of Yusuf salam. Yusuf salam is in Egypt. When he passes away, he made a will and he told the people, look, when I die, 
you bury me here. However, when you people, if you people here ever decide to leave Egypt, then you must take my body with me, with you. Take my body with you, and when you get to Baytul Maqdis, to Palestine, bury me with, alongside my father and my forefathers, Ibrahim and Ishaq, salam. Now you might think that's a little bit different, okay, we've not heard that before. But you find this in authentic hadith and narration of the Prophet ﷺ on which we'll end today's discussion inshaAllah. We learn this where the Prophet ﷺ, he had a friend that used to live in the villages on the outskirts of Medina Munawwara. And he would come to Medina Munawwara and the Prophet ﷺ, when he would go to Medina when he would go to the villages, um, that was like his contact. He would buy some vegetables from him and then he would bring these vegetables. When he would come to Medina Munawwara, he would look for the Prophet ﷺ. So once the Prophet ﷺ, he went, uh, came to Medina Munawwara and, uh, the, the, then, and the Prophet ﷺ went to him and they had this connection. The Prophet ﷺ told him, next time, Itina, next time you're in Medina, come by. No, you've been nice to me. You've offered me hospitality. You've given me some of your food. Next time you come to Medina, come down to my place. Okay, I will offer you some hospitality. How lucky and fortunate must he have been. So this villager, simple person, he comes to Medina Munawwara and he finds the Prophet wasallam, And the Prophet wasallam says to him when he arrives, Salhajatak. Salhajatak. O Bedouin, O Arabi, O villager, ask of your need what do you want the prophet wasallam, ask whatever you want is yours okay do you know what he said he was a village at the end of the day so he re he, he replied by saying oh prophet of allah i want one camel which i can ride and i want some sheep for my family that they can look after and they can get some goats and take some milk from there that's what i want Remember, who's asking the question? The Prophet ﷺ. He could have asked for absolutely anything. He could have asked for paradise. He could have asked for the whole world and he would have got it. Because it was the opportunity. He was kind to the Prophet of Allah ﷺ. So the Prophet ﷺ said, ask and I'll give you. He was a simple person. So he put a simple request. Turn to the people. And he said to the people, أَعَجَزْتُمْ أَن تَكُونُوا مِثْلَ عَجُوزِ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ he said, like, can't you, don't you have the capability? Like, why are you, why are you being, why, why, why are you aiming so low? You had an opportunity there and you could have asked for anything. You've asked for a camel and sheep. And he didn't say it to him. He said it to the rest of the Sahaba. He said, oh, can, can you people, do you people not have the ability to be and to aim high like the old? And the Sahaba said, O oh, Prophet of Allah, who are you talking about? Who's the old woman of Banu Israel? So then the Prophet ﷺ described what he's talking about. And the lesson here is to aim high. To always aim high. Don't aim low. Aim for the best. Okay, be optimistic. Be positive. Don't be a negative. Critical and finding faults all the time. Okay, praise people. Give compliments. This is the sunnah. This is what Islam is all about. So the Prophet ﷺ goes on to explain who this old woman was who aimed high. And he says, Musa ﷺ, we know Musa 
when he was leaving from Egypt with the Bani Israel, they lost, they got lost. So they were, they were fleeing from the Pharaoh, as we know, and they were going towards Palestine, towards Baytul Maqdis, and on the way they got lost. Musa says, what's this? You know, I, I thought I knew the way. Why are we lost? You know, we were going the right way. What's going on? So there were certain rabbis amongst them who were the people of the book. They said, Inna Yusufa alayhi salam, lamma hadarahu al-mawt, akhada alayna mawfiqan min Allah, Allah nakhruja min misra, hatta nankula idamahu ma'ana. So the scholars, they said, O Musa alayhi salam, our forefathers told us that when Yusuf alayhi salam passed away, he said that when you people ever, if you ever leave Egypt, you must take me with you, carry my body with you. So Musa salam, well, who knows where Yusuf salam, is buried? It's been so many years. Who knows the burial place of Yusuf salam? So they replied by saying, Ajuzun min Bani Israel. There's an old lady of Banu Israel. Only she knows the location of the burial site of Yusuf salam. So the Musa salam, says, go and call her. فَبَعَثَ إِلَيْهَا فَأَتَدْهُ فَقَالَ دُلِّينِي عَلَىٰ قَبْرِ Yusuf. Musa salam, said, hey, old woman, come here. Tell me, where is the grave of Yusuf salam? She said, no, I'm not going to tell you. Said, Why not? Tell me. Just no. I'll only tell you on one condition. You fulfill my request and then I'll tell you. Musa salam, said, what kind of request? I'm asking and you're saying you need to a request to be fulfilled. They didn't have a choice. Said, okay, what is your, okay, what's your request? Go for it. What do you want to ask? You want some money? You want some food? You know, you want a donation? What, what is it you want? You're looking for charity? What is it you want? So she said that what I want is Akunu ma'aka fil jannah. Oh Musa, I want to be with you in paradise. This is what she asked. And this is what the Prophet said. That why can't you people be like the old woman of Bani Israel? Aim high. She went for it. She had an opportunity to ask the Prophet like this man did. Look what she did. She went for it. So Musa salam, he became angry. He didn't like, I don't even know you. I don't know who you are. We've got no relation whatsoever. I don't even know if you pray or anything. He disliked the question. Allah inspired him and told him, Musa, give her what she wants. So she got what she wanted, the companionship of Musa salam, in Jannah. When he said, right, I'm going to show you now. She says, come with me, go to the well. So there was a well, the water was really dirty. She said, take out all the water of this pond and then start digging in this location. They started to dig. When they started to dig, they took out the blessed body of Yusuf salam. So they found Yusuf Islam's body. When they lifted, and you know, Inna Allah harrama ala al-ardi an ta'kula ajsad al-anbiya alayhimu salatu wassalam. Sahih authentic narration. Allah has made it forbidden upon the earth to decompose the bodies of the prophets. So if a prophet is buried, and even after a hundred years, if you open the grave, it will be, the body will be exactly the same. So to the extent the belief of the Ahlu Sunnati wal Jama'ah is that the prophets are alive in their grave. Quran says the martyrs are alive. The prophets are greater than the martyrs. If the martyrs are alive, how can the prophets not be alive? So the prophets are all alive in their graves. So he was, they, they, they found him. And then 
they lifted the body of Yusuf alayhi salam, the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, when they lifted the body of Yusuf alayhi salam, immediately the path opened up and they found where they were going. So then they carried they got to Baytul Maqdis eventually Musa Islam passed away before this we know the story and then now when you go to Hebron Palestine those who have traveled will know that we also now have the grave of Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam and this is a story from Musadrak Hakim Sahih authentic hadith of how you might be thinking if Yusuf alayhi was in Egypt how did he end up in Palestine so this is the backstory of how this takes place we come to the end of the story of Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept what has been said and heard may Allah forgive any mistakes